Hello and welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here. The show is always presented by Scout Logistics. And a quick note before we get to our guest, going to be off the rest of the week. Enjoy your July 4th week. I know that all of you in Minnesota are at your cabins or playing golf or doing things of the like. So when we return from the rest of this week off on vacation, it'll be hardcore training camp previews. But... Before vacation, I wanted to connect with Kevin Cole, data scientist from Pro Football Focus and the host of the Unexpected Points podcast, because dang it, Kevin, your work has been so interesting lately. What's up, buddy? I'm doing well. Yeah, I mean, good. It's good for the holiday. I know a lot of people say this is a dead season, but for me, I find it a little bit refreshing to actually be able to just completely open up the spectrum of what you can dig into during this part of the season and not really have to worry about you know, week seven, will Aaron Rodgers be on the Packers? Yes or no? What is his on his Instagram post? That sort of stuff. So I can just I can skew all that and then go into some nerdy stuff that maybe aren't isn't appreciated when we get to the day by day blows of what's going on in news. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And for a reporter like myself, I could take some time to do some interviews for some bigger stories that are on the way and, and things like that. And uh, the Vikings generally give us a few weeks of a break, although with the Vikings, you never really know when someone is going to get traded, arrested, whatever it might be. We've had the entire litany of things that are possible. Um, but I, I wanted to start with you because we had a discussion on the show uh, maybe a week ago or so about statistics, quarterback statistics. I got a great question from fans about how we should evaluate quarterbacks. And I had a rant about Eli Manning's prime being actually really good and how his longevity killed Eli Manning when it comes to looking <laughs> up his box score stats. But right. um, you wrote such an interesting piece where you rank quarterbacks by sort of the analytic rankings and you, you use expected points added. And I like to use expected points added as well, but I also think it's hard to explain sort of how it works and how we apply it to individuals. So maybe we can start there as it pertains to quarterbacks, how we look at expected points and then sort of um, transpose that onto our quarterback analysis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, okay, well, the way I would think about it is to say that the complaint about expected points added would be it's a team stat, right? It's measuring what a team does on a particular play. But then again, are passing yards not a team stat? Are passing touchdowns not a team stat? I mean, everyone is playing into those stats too. The offensive line has to block, the receiver has to catch the ball. It depends on what defense you're playing, all that sort of stuff. So there is a difference between expected points added and PFF passing grades. And we try to really isolate the throws mostly for what the quarterback is doing. So, but to go back to expected points added, it's just a way of framing those stats in a way that you can apply across the board to every position. And it tries to be a little bit more accurately weighting. If I tell you someone takes a five yard sack on first and 10 versus someone does the same thing on third and 10. What do we know about the difference of it? Well, it's a lot worse to take it on an earlier down because you're going to impale that, that drive. So that's basically what it's doing is before every play, it's figuring out how many points can you expect this offense to score on this drive. It's a little more complicated than that, but let's just say that based upon down, distance, field position. Then the play happens. You recalculate everything based upon the new down, the new distance, the new uh, field position. And then you know on that play how many points were added based upon what happened on that play. So 
by compiling all those things into a quarterback stat, it is a quote unquote team stat. But as the longer you go, the quarterback being the most important position on the field, you can get some good insight from that. And I think that's really the, the important thing that you're getting there is you're weighing, you know, some quarterbacks take sacks, but we don't think of it that much. Some quarterbacks fumble the ball on a sack, which is a hugely negative play. But when we're only looking at TD in interception ratios, we don't calculate those things. And some quarterbacks are really good at running the ball. And that doesn't necessarily play into it. So we can also weave running the ball into it on the same exact scale, which is points added. So when PFF sort of discovered that quarterbacks are responsible for their own pressures and sacks, it sort of like changed my life a little bit. And I remember, well, I remember having Sage Rosenfels on former NFL quarterback and he was like, oh yeah, yeah, it's definitely the quarterback. It's, it's not, yeah. I mean, it is the offensive line, but it's also right. like, I, I can get rid of the ball. I'm responsible for that. And I was just poking around yesterday and discovered Peyton Manning in 2009 was sacked 10 times. Like imagine the value of being sacked 10 times in a whole season for Peyton Manning. So now uh, the reason that I sort of started using expected points added to look at how effective passing games were in a given season was I noticed that every year since Peyton Manning's abysmal 2015 the two teams in the Super Bowl are always in the top five in passing EPA. And that really like caught, caught my eye. So I wonder what, when you looked at the quarterbacks and you're saying like putting them down rankings and using EPA, um, what is it that certain quarterbacks have or do that you're looking for, for like skill set and PFF grade and these other things that would result in the expected points added. So result in the most telling statistic. I hope that question makes sense. No, that question definitely makes sense. I mean, so I think you want to think about it. Sacks is a big thing, right? Because that's probably the biggest disconnect between how we may view certain quarterbacks versus uh, what their expected points uh, added will say. Because of the fact that sacks are much more costly than we think, we're attributing it to the quarterback in that, in that circumstance, whereas a lot of people wouldn't be, wouldn't be doing that. I mean, Russell Wilson is probably a perfect example of someone who just year in, year out, he's going to take a lot of sacks, and that makes a difference. That means that versus someone like Patrick Mahomes, who actually doesn't take many, many sacks, despite the fact that he holds onto the ball and he moves around a lot, he's basically – going to be you know 40 points behind according to expected points added for the season almost automatically you almost know that straight up at the beginning of the season that the sacks is going to happen so that that is really important and even when it comes to things like interceptions there are certain times where interceptions are much more costly than other times and i know we have the concept of like the arm punt and you can kind of think about it in that sort of fashion where it's much less costly to attempt to convert a first down. So throwing the ball downfield, using those air yards on a, a third down, especially a long third down, you don't have to worry as much about an interception on those plays because we are learning that the real negative is, is the possession losing possession that's the real negative the field position the team has on the other side it's incremental it's not it's not the, the biggest deal so i think i think that's a big factor is whether or not teams are willing to convert these third downs because those are the big plays where you're going from a negative situation to now a first down which is a positive situation so you're adding a ton of epa on those so often we'll see quarterbacks like patrick mahomes josh allen uh Aaron Rodgers last year who were very very good at doing that and there are other quarterbacks who are not quite as good actually Kirk Cousins is one of these guys who's not quite as good at converting those and some of that has to do with pressure play which you can also divide up and I think that gives you a lot as to whether or not it's unstable but you need a quarterback to be able to do that to be elite on a longer term basis 
Right. So in applying Kirk Cousins to these now in your quarterback sort of I'm just going to use analytic rankings and sort of my <laughs> finger air quotes, because there's just so many. Right. And this is what drives me crazy when one person who works for PFF has a right. ranking and then right. oh, PFF hates my favorite quarterback. Like, hey, it's just one person. To, it's a real <laughs> what? Yeah, the Lamar Jackson thing is funny because he's rated very high on there, but yet everyone's killing killing Eric right now. Yeah, I mean, saying analytics rating is kind of like saying, here are my film ratings. Like, your film ratings, my film ratings, doesn't really matter. I guess a little bit of the difference, though, and it's a little opaque what I'm doing, I'll admit that, but there is at least a methodology that you can point to somewhat more easily with with something like an analytic rating as opposed to a film rating. But again, it all depends on how how you're building in, how you're making the cake there. And as a person who has attempted to rank things many times, it's not, it's not easy. Like you get to who, and this was, I was talking with Eric about this the other day. It's just like, you get to who's seventh versus who's 10th. And you're like, ah, you know, that kind of thing. But um, so when I say your analytic rankings, it just means your list using EPA, Um, you know, Kirk is 15th. Right. And so that is just okay. And it's kind of what you would expect. And I think that the difference between Kirk and his box score stats and something like EPA and why EPA would be a little more telling about how he actually played matching up with, I was there at all the games uh, would, would be the things around the edges that you're talking about. It's a sack on first down. His sack rate is very high. And the pressure I think that happens with poor offensive line play impacts Kirk more because as you mentioned, the running element is very valuable. When I see Kyler Murray ninth and and he didn't even play that well last year, I didn't think, but he's got that running element and Lamar's running element too. And I, I guess with Kirk, that's the constant sort of push and pull and battle that happens with people where you have somebody searches Kirk's quarterback rating last three years. And he's right there with the best quarterbacks, but that's not really the most telling thing I think about how he's played. Yeah, I I think that that's a good point. I mean, one of the things that I looked at was specifically in terms of Russell Wilson. um, And then as I looked at it more and more, it became obvious of of Kirk Cousins too. Now there's another advanced statistic that uh, especially like to be used by Ben Baldwin, who writes for The Athletic. And it's this, and it's also used by ESPN. It's called completion percentage over expectation. So those generally track, right? How how well you're, you, you do at completing the ball versus your EPA per play, because obviously that's kind of important for a quarterback, right? Being able to, to, to complete passes. But there are certain players where there's a big divergence between the two. On one side, someone like Patrick Mahomes has a relatively low completion percentage over expectation, but a very high uh, EPA per, let's say, drop back because of the fact that while he's not completing every pass, he's he's playing very well in these high leverage situations. He's adding scrambling. He's not taking sacks, which are not part of it. So Kirk Cousins really fell into the same bucket as Russell Wilson, where I think every single year of his career, there might have been some years where it's tied, but if you look at his rank ordering of completion percentage over expectation versus EPA per drop back, he's always better in completion percentage over expectation. He completes the ball. You give him a window, you give him a clean pocket. He knows how to put the ball from point A to point B. The problem will will necessarily be if things get a little bit muddy, if he has to take a little bit more risk in certain situations, if he needs his flush from the pocket, things like that. 
there are certain times where he will, you know, he'll take a sack rather than throw an incompletion where it'd be the opposite there. And that's what it ends up coming. Around. And he has some of those bigger plays. So I think that's a big difference from him. If you're looking at a throw by throw basis, and sometimes that matches up with our grading, which has been pretty good for cousins, especially in 2019 in a low volume season, but he did extremely well. Like the throws are there. It's just bring together all the little things that don't go into something like completion percentage or grade that he doesn't quite put together on that same level. And this is where I feel like the statistics and the truth are coming together because yeah. when, I mean, he is a great thrower of the football. I mean, and previous receivers, <clears throat> Stefan Diggs wanted him to throw it more often instead of taking sacks and throw right. balls up for grabs. But the throws you don't make, what is the uh, Wayne Gretzky slash Michael Scott? Like you, <laughs> whatever all the shots you don't this, take or something yeah, like yeah, that. yeah well that that's what that's Kirk Cousins he yeah, misses yeah. the shots that he doesn't take and I think when you look at how long he holds the ball versus average depth of target you, you're sort of surprised that those two things also don't really match up because you usually would expect a guy who is going down the field to hold the ball longer but he holds the ball longer and doesn't generally take a lot of shots down the field. And it sort of goes back to what Jay Gruden said about him, where he said something like, I can't make everyone wide open all the time. And yeah. I, and I feel like when we talk about Kirk and your, your analytics ranking list has him sort of middle of the pack. This is why he is in the middle of the pack and not one of those top guys. It's not because he can't put up quarterback rating, completion percentage, all those statistics and make the throws that he needs to make. It's really the throws that he doesn't make. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's part of it. I mean, you could say it's it's a talent issue. I do think there's also something, and now I'm getting into maybe a little too much psychology here. I don't want to like <laughs> Freud him about his parents or something, but like there's probably something of someone who was a fourth round quarterback, I believe, for for cousins, who isn't the like no one says him and says, Oh, this is like Josh Allen, you know, type of talent guy, right? Where you where you can get away with doing these things where Probably there's part of the mentality of how he's grinded to the point that he is grinded to is by not making mistakes. Because if a guy like him makes mistakes, you you see the pine. You're, you're going to the bench. Whereas if a guy like Josh Allen makes mistakes, it's like, okay, he was trying for it. You know, we know he can do things like that. So I think there's an element of that too, of probably that's the way that he's always played because maximizing, minimizing the downside has been a little bit more important even for how coaches react to him and, and, and teammates react to him in a way where he just shouldn't be as afraid to make quote unquote ugly plays. But from someone in his standing with his draft cap, that was a little bit more of a problem now he has you know he's, he's got some he's got some cheddar behind him behind him now so they're probably not moving anywhere in the near future but i don't know if you can just switch over that type of mentality if you've been playing one way your entire life and not only that but the one offensive coordinator that kind of opened it up for him he had strip sack and interception issues in 2018 <laughs> and then yeah. drove mike zimmer absolutely insane and so they went to an offense that was run first play action to really and this is the the thing why Cousins and, and Zimmer are just not really a fit together because you have a coach who is afraid of his quarterback making mistakes, right. which he inevitably will do. It's in Kirk's DNA to make a play that just blows your mind. Like, uh, where was that going or what was that? What happened there? Um, and, and yet, so I've, I've sort of coined the phrase of like lean into the Kirk, like <laughs> he's going to have these, like there's no way yeah. around them. He takes the sacks and throws the interceptions at the same rate, whether you throw it 400 times or 600 times. Um, so that's always an interesting element, but I think you're, if you think about who he came up with, Mike Shanahan, 
Uh, I did a story on his first game that he ever played and he ran play action 60% of the time in that game. It's like it, Shanahan and McVeigh and, and these guys who like to be the button pushers and just do what I tell you to do. Not the guy who says, Hey, Deshaun Watson, go back in the shotgun, run around and make a play. And, but I also do think there's a physical limitation here. When we talk about ranking quarterbacks and how you would do it in a number of different ways, there is a physical limitation there where if he is off balance, that ball is just not getting any juice on it. If he is on, uh, he can be on the rollout, but not like dancing. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's, there's the element of he's not case Keenum where he's just going to wing it to somebody, but there's also the element of this is not a big, strong guy. And there was a throw last year where he had Justin Jefferson against Tampa Bay and he was just a little bit off balance and the throw ends up going light and high and Jefferson can't make it. It's like one of those things that is very, very like you need a microscope to see it. But once you look for it, you'll see it all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to get I'm sure we're going to get to Justin Jefferson cryptic tweet season pretty, pretty soon. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not this offseason, but pretty soon. Actually, you know, one player I want to bring up and this is probably a good example. We're talking about similar system similar philosophy who falls on the other end of the spectrum. And maybe it shows the risk of, of, of being a player who's a little bit more aggressive is Jimmy Garoppolo, right? So he does things that are very like, uh, what, what, like head scratchers. And he makes really bad plays. His interception rate is a little bit higher than, than for players like Kirk cousins. He's totally the opposite on his completion percentage over expectation versus his EPA per play, because he's pretty good at converting third downs. He's, he, they get a lot, but then, then everyone wants to attribute everything to the system while it's Shanahan is giving him all these great, that's part of it. Part of it. I do think is that he like is willing to just take risks and just throw the ball in and look really, really bad sometimes. Now, I don't know if that is what got him, um, you know, benched and the fact that Shanahan had to hide him or if it was really the fact that he's just been injured a lot. But if you look up on an EPA per play basis uh, from, I guess, when he started, well, I got a little, was cut out the first couple of years. We barely played, but I think it's from like 2016 through now. I think he's third or fourth behind guys like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes uh, during that time period. Now, a lot of that was that stretch, great stretch run he had a few years ago, but still the results have been there for someone like him, but no one would think that because they think about the really ugly plays that he has made sometimes. So I could see if Kirk Cousins transitioned, he probably looks something more like what Jimmy Garoppolo has looked like. Yeah, no, that's right. And uh, Garoppolo, I think, is a little more physically gifted being a, right. a second round pick. He's taller. He's got a stronger arm, I think. But y that's a great point. Handsome. And this is very, handsome this too, very, very good looking. No question about <laughs> it. Um, so when we <laughs> the uh, that'll be the next ranking that drives everyone nuts. Uh, who are the sexiest quarterbacks? Who's the who's the ugliest quarterback? It's Ben, right? Roethlisberger. Uh, I have to no comment on this one. Yeah, I'm not going to go back to that, that thing where we're putting everyone through the app and then making them. <laughs> into women and then and then oh, talking God. about what they look like i don't want to go back to that season again that was extremely uncomfortable but i do think <laughs> that i do think that um ben roethlisberger would be very comfortable with being called the ugliest quarterback presently um, well that's so that off-season <laughs> picture with the beard and everything else he's yeah, definitely right. leaning into it right he's not even trying at this point <laughs> so uh <laughs> now this actually circles back to the eli manning discussion that right. we we're having because yeah Manning's uh, a good example of a guy who does really dumb things sometimes and he leans into it 
Exactly. And when he was at his best, when he was at his physical peak and his team and he had good wide receivers and stuff, his willingness to take risks sort of shows up in those playoff games that he wins. And you could, I think, tie those things together. Philip Rivers the same way, where I think Philip Rivers threw five interceptions against the Vikings or four one day. And he said something like, yeah, at the end of the game, I was just basically like throwing it out there. Like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and that is a very much the opposite of what Kirk Cousins will do when down 20. When Kirk Cousins yeah. is down 20, it will be completion, 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 completion. And they will lose by 10 as opposed right. to losing by 30 because he yeah. threw a couple more interceptions. And I, I think that that is a very interesting sort of psychological element of it, of a guy who is like a trained sort of robotic quarterback. And I think that that is why he doesn't elevate into that level of like the top five type of quarterbacks, even though some of his statistics would suggest that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's true. It's funny. Eli is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad for him, but he is kind of this poor man's version of his brother in some ways, because even Peyton Manning, if you, I mean, look at that rookie season, right? When he threw so many interceptions, even though, but his stats, his efficiency was actually pretty good for the fact that even though he's throwing all those interceptions and even throughout his career in games that they lost, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would not be surprised if you said, if you looked up four interception games, that Peyton Manning would be a lot higher on that list, just as an absolute number for how many he had in his career than you think, because in those games when he's way down, it's like, it doesn't matter at that point, okay? And, that, and again, that's another statistic you can calculate is like this win probability added. So if you're at... 5% win probability and you throw an interception, you're barely losing anything. Whereas if you're, is it like a 50-50 game or if you're in the lead and you're throwing an interception, it's a much bigger difference. So it's all about what you're trying to maximize in these situations. And if you're trying to maximize winning the game, there are times where you're going to have to go for it like that. And because of that, you know, Eli, you, you mentioned, I'm looking at some stats here for his EPA ranks. Yeah, I mean, he was solidly like in that top 10-ish for a, for a number of years there. Now, you know, we're not going to get into Hall of Fame discussions and all that stuff. It's not really good enough to get into Hall of Fame discussions, but I think a lot of people remember that latter half of his career where he was getting into the 20s consistently, and that's taken away from some of the fact that, yeah, there is value in a guy who can get you average to above average quarterback play for, for a number of years, and then in the playoffs is not going to turtle uh, when, when you need him to throw the ball down the field. Want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen it yet, you've got to check it out. A couple of my favorite designs are the Duck Duck Gray Duck and the Randy Moss Goat, which you've got to see. Uh, all their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. By the way, use Promo code Purple Insider for free shipping. That's SodaStick, S O T A S T I C K dot com. Original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code Purple Insider for free shipping. Hey everyone, summer is here and you're trying to get out on the golf course, but if you're like us here at Purple Insiders, spending all day golfing isn't always an option. That's why you need to check out Birdie Golf in Woodbury. I'll give you an example. My wife is new to golf and she's intimidated by the big courses, but at Birdie Golf, she could come and play without the pressure. You can make golf a family experience at Birdie Golf. Bring the kids, still get all of your swings in. They have eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and still 
people have a great time. I've heard from several listeners to the show who have tried out Birdie Golf and absolutely loved it. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights, and every time Sam and I show up at Birdie Golf to record our podcast, we always get the boneless wings. Make golf a night out. It's the perfect place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, and even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive away from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro at birdiegolf.com, B-I-R-D-I golf.com. Call 651-998-2200 today, and I'll see you there. Right, exactly. Uh, and so if he would, if he didn't win those Super Bowls, clearly the Giants would have moved on or he would have retired or whatever. You know, we, we wouldn't have yeah. seen that. It was sort of like legacy years that he got that really mess up his stats. Sort of like Willie Mays Mets type of thing. <laughs> They're just like, retire, man. Uh, yeah. But uh, now here's a, a question for you when it comes to separating these quarterbacks. Yeah. You look at uh, Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Stafford, like these guys are all sort of similar in, in a lot yeah. of ways and, and Kirk, and they're all sort of like Kirk, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo. How do we pick these guys apart and sort of decide who deserves what type of, I guess, ranking or who you pay or like Matt Stafford has been praised as if he was a top three quarterback this offseason. You would just think that like he was so great. And yet I've never seen it. I've covered a lot of Matt Stafford games. I've seen some spectacular throws, but I've also seen hilariously bad interceptions at the worst time uh, and tons of sacks. He got sacked 10 times once in a single game against the Vikings. So pick those guys up apart for me and sort of explain like these guys who are in the middle of the pack, but are actually, I mean, just like Kirk really good at quarterback backing overall. Yeah. I mean, the, the easy answer is you just go, you, you go with what you have. If you have them, I guess, if you're, if you're a team and that's probably good enough. And a lot of this is just like flipping coins. Now Stafford's an interesting guy because again, when I was looking at this relationship, between completion percentage over expectation and efficiency while Kirk cousins was kind of like your, uh, you know, middle income man's, I won't say poor man's middle income man's Russell Wilson. Uh, Stafford was kind of like your poor man's Patrick Mahomes, honestly, like he, he was similar in some, in some ways, but it's just worse, like in every single way. So again, he was someone who would kind of maximize that efficiency by what he was doing, but he just doesn't quite have it in that sort of way to, to really, to really be able to do that. Now, maybe within the right system, we'll see this year, it's going to be interesting for him, but I do think there's too much of this concentration still on the fact he has the number one pick, the toolsy sort of guy. If you're going to look at highlights, you're going to get that like, oh, if, my favorite is uh, the Stafford clip where it's like, oh, if Patrick Mahomes did this, the media would be saying X. You know, that's that's like the the the, the favorite thing for for Lions fans. So there's just not enough consistency there. So it's kind of like, do you, do you value consistency or do you value some of this upside sort of play? And when it comes to Baker Mayfield, I don't know. Like Baker Mayfield's such a hard guy because he was very good from a grading perspective as a rookie and he hasn't been nearly as good with it was the actual efficiency of his play because he's had some bad interceptions some pick six sort of situations but he's made these really great throws so that's why his grading is good but he doesn't necessarily get easy stuff he hasn't or whether it's his fault or whether it's the offense's fault he hasn't done he got a lot more easier stuff this season 
Um, but he, and he's also shown some ability to play under pressure, which I think could, can make you elite. But then he's shown other times where he doesn't play that. He hasn't played that well under pressure. So I think for Baker, I would only say the upside is the biggest for him because we know the least about him probably at this point. Um, and then, you know, I'm not going to go against consensus too much. And it, I, I have no problem with someone saying they would rather have someone like Matthew Stafford or put him close in that, in that situation. And we probably are going to find out a lot about him this year, but I think generally he's given too much leeway for the fact that, you know, someone who played most of his career with Calvin Johnson and prime golden Tate and, you know, Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay and all these other guys, it's not like he's, he's been in the worst uh, receiver situation throughout his career. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones just shredded the Vikings year after year. Golden Tate did the same thing. Uh, And and yet Matt Stafford would rarely beat the Vikings because there was always a bad interception on the way. And last year was a great example of that. he's, Uh, He's a quiet he's a quiet like coach killer offensive coordinator killer because there's been guys who have come in there and he's performed well initially and it's been like remember jim bob cooter came in there it was like oh cooter time like everything's great he's <laughs> throwing these short passes and everything is and then all of a sudden a year later it's like oh cooter stinks and cooter was the problem and now he's gone so he's silent coach killer this would be interesting with mcveigh i don't know if he's that if he's, he's on that level of coach killer but we'll see well that that's exactly it because Cooter was supposedly genius because he went to short passes. Right. And then Bevel was supposedly genius because he went to deep passes. <laughs> right. It was like, yeah. which is it, everybody? Yeah. But maybe yeah. it's that neither one of them actually uh, was, and it was always just Stafford all along. Uh, yeah. You did another study that people should go find that is very interesting about situational football and sort of how it relates right. to aggression. Uh, the headline is NFL offenses are getting smarter about situational aggressiveness. And I just know what Vikings fans said in their head. They said, not the Vikings. Uh, how bad is it that the Vikings run on second down all the time? I mean, just like, especially yeah. <laughs> you, you talk about second and short and teams passing more often, but I, how, let, let me put it this way. How much is it hurting them if they don't have this right? Yeah, I mean, I think it hurts in that it's more likely to put them in these situations where Cousins is not thriving. I think that's that's part of the, the problem there. And it, it, there's this weird thing. Okay, this is more – I don't have the data to back this up, so I may have to call myself out eventually on this. But I think there is something to – people think these running offenses are um, – like low risk in a way or low variance in a way because they're doing, but I actually think it's a little bit different than that. I think that there, there's an argument that you're, you're making it a little bit higher variance. And like, if you think about um, some of the offenses, I think like the Jaguars had where Blake Bortles looked okay in that one season where they were, they run the ball. What you're doing is you're relying on the quarterback to convert a handful of third downs and that and that's how you're going to win this game is that they can convert those third downs because you're putting yourself in those situations you're not going for a handful of third downs and a handful of explosive first down uh play action type of plays and if it's it's kind of like you can you can do really really well or you can do really really poorly in those situations but when you don't have confidence in your quarterback maybe you're willing to say i'm just going to risk it and we'll take the lower sample size and hope for it so i think in that sort of way that's really the biggest problem it's not that it doesn't give you a chance it's just 
in a long enough timeline, it's going to be worse. But on a, on a short basis, it can work. And that's why I think we've seen over and over again, people get fooled by like, oh, remember Smash Mouth? I'm over. Exotic Smash Mouth was the thing, right? It was like, we're going to rebel. And every, every few years we hear about the smart teams. What they're doing is they're leaning into the run because the defenses are getting smaller and playing against the pass. And then like every year, the pass percentage goes up. Every year, defenses get smaller. Every year, it keeps on going up. So I think that's the problem is that you can kind of fool yourself into performing well because you're giving yourself like two or three plays during the game. You hit those two or three plays, you win. And that can happen for a week, two weeks, three weeks. But over a long enough timeline is eventually the wheels are going to fall off. What, what I see, too, from just the eyeball is if you center everything around a running game, there will be lots of games over a year or two years or three years where the other team just stops your running back. And it's that simple. You just can't run that day. And every time the Vikings play against Akeem Hicks, they just can't run that day. And it's, I mean, it's remarkable. Like one player just dominates the Vikings running game, but it's true. And, and then it's like, what's our response to that? When that's our main thing, when it comes to a passing game, I mean, you can shut down a passing game if you have a great pass rush or great coverage unit or whatever, but from a week to week basis, go through what passing games do versus what running games do. And I feel like the chart would look like the mountains up and down on running games, whereas passing games, it would have a lot less variance from week to week. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, the problem with the the up and downs is just you're not going to have the the peaks also that you're on the, in the same level of peaks. I mean, again, this is something that I don't necessarily have the numbers to back up. But I remember in particular when I was tracking teams as far as how much they varied on their their passing percentage versus running percentage in a particular game. I'm thinking of the Patriots teams, uh, maybe like 2016, 2017 ish. Sometimes they would go into a game and they would just throw every single game, every every single play. I was thinking about some of these games they had against the Bills and some other good run defenses where they would just come in and just throw. And then the next game, they would just go and hand the ball off a lot. So if you're not, if you're just trying to be too formulaic and you're, you're just going to say, you know what, we're just going to do the running, we're going to lean the running game and then we're going to cross our fingers that it's going to work. Uh, every, and that's that's our game plan, then there are issues. And that, that can be part of it too. I think it could be more multiple with the passing game too, as it sounds. I mean, that's part of the thing that I found out in the situational aggressiveness is like on second down, in short, in other situations, and in, and on first down a lot too, teams are being less aggressive in these situations where they have kind of more to lose, but they're throwing a lot of screen passes, they're throwing a lot of short passes, they're doing a lot of pick plays, they're doing a lot of other stuff. You can do that, or you can throw it long, you know. But and with the running game, it's not like you have a var- the variance like that. Yeah, you can run it outside, or you can run it inside, but it's not it's it's not the same sort of thing where you can say, you know, what we can really vary what we're going to do and decide how much risk we're going to take on this play. It's really just we're going to run it and and hope that it works. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics, and I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads, and if you're wondering what that means exactly, well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, And we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? 
They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855-217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. So if you were Clint Kubiak, and I think that Mike Zimmer is really the offensive uh, shot caller, um, just how it's gone the last couple of years. But if if you're Clint Kubiak, how are you handling the fact that your head coach wants you to run the football, wants to establish the run, wants Delvin Cook touching the ball 30 times a game, uh, you know, like it's Emmett Smith or something but still trying to make the most out of your offense, because I think Kevin Stefanski brilliantly worked with this in 2019. Uh, But also one thing we don't talk about a lot is they had a a pretty easy schedule of defenses this year. Their schedule of defenses is not easy. So they're going to have to maximize this. If your head coach says you have to run the ball, how do you work around that? Yeah, um, that's an interesting one. I mean, I think you quit some, (laughs) in some ways, I think that the, like the second and long runs are the worst for me. Like even the first down, there is like a game theory sort of aspect to it of you run on first down and then you have knowledge as to whether or not it worked. And then you can decide on second down what you want to do. Now, if you run on second down, you're you're not really gaining that much because you're not going to pick up the first down, most likely, if it's second and long. And now you're just putting yourself into a third down situation that could be anywhere from you know two yards to seven yards. And you're really giving yourself that. So I feel like on that on those sorts of plays, but a problem is for a conservative coach, those are the ones that they hate because they don't want to get in third and long, right? So they it's like this fear of getting in third and long. Um yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's really a tough a tough situation because the head coach is the head coach is it. I mean, let's face it, the head coach is not, uh, this is not a democracy. This is not like a uh, rational, uh, you know, take it to the Supreme Court and then overrule the the head coach on, on what's going on. So, I mean, you try to explain to him uh, these different concepts. You try to explain the fact that, you know, kicking a, a punt, if you're going to say we're going to run the ball, get a third and long, not convert, and then punt the ball, that it's not that much better than it would be if you threw the ball a couple of times and potentially risk the interception, I think you just have to stress those different things, but I don't, I mean, I think it may be an impossibility, honestly, to talk through someone who believes in that sort of philosophy um, without it being like this feedback loop where it starts to work and you get lucky, you get lucky that it starts to work doing the way that you want to do things. And then you just lean into it and get them to buy into it more and more. The problem is it normally works the other direction is the, the moment it, it sto- the moment it doesn't work. And I think you could say that the Seahawks fell into this category last year. Uh, those coaches, they have their general, their, their initial instinct, and you can just flip right back to zero immediately and say, uh, okay, I'm done with this experiment. You just described 2018. They were, I think, <laughs> I think they were like five, two and one and Kirk cousins was one of the top passers in the league. And then they had a game against the jets where it was windy and it, it didn't work and they were passing too much in Mike Zimmer's opinion. And then from there on out, Kirk cousins goes mostly downhill because Zimmer got frustrated that they weren't running the ball enough. And it just right. became this huge conflict between him and John D Filippo because D Filippo's philosophy was more pass first. So that's a, that's a great way of putting it. And it's exactly what ends up happening. So uh, before we wrap up, 
just have this has been terrific and people should go listen to your podcast unexpected points check out your work at pff.com i just i'm i want i have three viking quarterback seasons that i'm going okay. that i want to tell you the stat line and give you two quarterbacks and i want you to tell me which quarterback it was okay that's okay. the that's, right. that's that's the game you can do this <laughs> all, right. all right i know you can do this this is fun okay uh this quarterback had 4264 yards 18 touchdowns, 19 interceptions for a 79.9 quarterback rating. Was that Warren Moon or was that Tommy Kramer? Hmm. Um, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. I'm going to go with the I'm going to go with Kramer only because why not? <laughs> there isn't really a lot of skill to this game. I just thought it was, <laughs> I should make some statistical sort of fun game and people could play along at home. That was actually Warren Moon. I thought uh, the inter the interception total might throw you off because Moon did have one great year in Minnesota. Uh, yeah. This this season, uh, four thousand okay. seven hundred and seventeen yards, thirty nine touchdowns, eleven interceptions. Is that Dante Culpepper or Brett Favre? Um, I'm trying to think if Culpepper ever got to that to that number uh because it was a little bit earlier i'm gonna say i'm gonna say call pepper uh but i'm not uh I, i'll say call pepper that is correct that is that All is right. uh, dante call pepper his famous 2004 my, my coin year. flipping is one for one <laughs> one for two so one for two all right last last one. believe the analytics that's the analytics work that's right this quarterback <laughs> Uh, I should give you the win-loss record because that's the most important thing to stats people. Uh, two two thousand eight hundred sixteen yards, twenty-three touchdowns, twelve picks, good for a ninety-four quarterback rating. Is it Christian Ponder or Jeff George? Mm, that's a good one because George had a couple of good seasons, but then Ponder, like when those Percy Harvin seasons looked, the early per, per, Percy Harvin looked okay. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Ponder. Ponder could only dream to be Jeff George. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I thought that was a fun little, uh, let's talk about quarterback statistics. Jeff George's eight and two run in 1999 is if you go back and look at it, it's one of the most fun you'll ever find. Cause he just, well, I love, I love everywhere. seeing him as part of these, like the, you see the Randy Moss like stuff get, get circulated more than anything else. But some of the lasers that, that George was throwing, is just ridiculous. Cause the guy like did not care at all about, <laughs> base or or doing whatever and he doesn't necessarily look like the guy that would have that also i mean he's a he's a tall guy but he's not uh his arm isn't like you know some sort of adonis sort of thing either but man could he just whip it right he just looks like a dad sort of you yeah. know like and then he's just <laughs> right laser is the way to do it so anyway kevin cole uh make sure you follow him at kevin cole pff you're that guy now right at kevin cole pff yep okay. i am that guy okay, yeah yeah but guy. not not Ke not uh pff underscore kevin so i'm bucking so, a trend a little bit there probably, the underscores. probably hurting my career prospects there but i don't know i think the underscores are problematic personally uh, <laughs> an investigation is required uh kevin you're awesome your work is great uh that's why i wanted to have you on and i was not disappointed so great stuff and keep up the good work we'll talk again soon man all right thanks buddy this is great